y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Today, we're continuing our Women's History, Women's Empowerment series with um, Janelle Perez. She's the author of The Moral Police, and we're talking about gender discrimination. And she has a really interesting story. She actually was and filed a lawsuit against the police department that she worked at for gender discrimination. So it's a really great conversation, and I hope you learn some things. If you are being discriminated in the workplace, know that you have a voice. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted it to um, come out, because you can be discriminated because you are a different race, you have a different sexual orientation as the other co-workers, being a different um, nationality, being a different be a female they them binary it doesn't matter discrimination is wrong so i hope you really enjoy listening to this um, episode with janelle and if you are discriminated against i hope you will um, think about getting her book because i put the link in the show notes and continue to fight and you know what i need you to do right now that's right start listening another edition of chats in the blog cabin today before we introduce my guest i want to share since this women's history women's empowerment month i wanted to share a quote and the quote that i picked for today is by megan markle we all know who she is and it says women don't need to find a voice they have a voice and they need to feel empowered to use it and people need to be encouraged to listen and i think that kind of goes with janelle how we what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk all about gender discrimination and what happened to you. But before we get into that, introduce yourself to us. Hello. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I'm Janelle. I am from California and um, a little bit of background on me. I went to college at Penn State. So I did experience the four seasons uh, for four years (laughs) and I came back shortly after college and decided to pursue a career in law enforcement. So I became a police officer. Uh, My first agency that I worked at was in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was there for about six years. And then I took a short break when I had my second child. And then I went on and worked at an agency outside of Sacramento. And I was there for eight months before I was terminated. Okay, so... You talk, you also wrote a book to talk about what happened when you were terminated. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yes. So I did write a book, The Moral Police. Um, In that book, I cover a little bit before, um, you know, my childhood and growing up. And then I cover 
what happened at my police agency where I felt like I was discriminated against based on my gender and marital status and uh, all the way up to my termination. And then um, there was a court case after that. So um, it's pretty thorough. And I just really felt like it was necessary to share my story uh, for myself and also for other women. It, uh, it takes a lot of courage to, uh, you know, face yeah. these stories and you know there's so many opinions and judgments out there and so it takes a lot to speak up but i really felt like if i could share and help anybody to share their story then it was worth it for me so what was the defining factor for you to actually sue for gender discrimination because then a lot of women don't do that a lot of women just suck it up and move on yeah no and i and i understand why too um so when i was terminated I believed that I was terminated wrongfully um, due to a relationship that I had off duty. So I was separated at the time and I was involved with another police officer at the same agency. And um, I lost my job and he did not lose his. Um, the thing there was I was on probation. So I essentially could be terminated for any reason at all. But I believe that my right to privacy was something that I could not be terminated because of that relationship. So um, I decided initially just to ask for my job back because I felt like I was wrongfully terminated. Um, but the city would not entertain that. So I decided to move forward with a lawsuit because I, I really truly believed and still believe to this day that I was terminated because of that relationship. And I think that, um, you know, it, you know, it wasn't fair in any capacity. If, um, you know, if the person I was dating, if we did something so egregious, I just felt like we both should have been terminated, not just me. So. So what things did you face that you had to go through? Cause obviously you have to be a very strong person to want to, be faced with all this because I know you were faced with a lot. So yeah, some of the things you were faced with. Yeah, you know, it was initially when I was terminated um, in the meeting with the chief of police, I asked why I was being terminated. And he said, I don't have to give you a reason, which he was right. He didn't have to give me a reason. Um, but later in the depositions, um, they did offer three reasons that I felt held no merit. Um, so I was, you know, I sat in, I think, in almost every deposition in the court case, and it was um, disheartening to hear some of the things that I felt were not true at all. And essentially, I felt that they were um, kind of covering their tracks to say, okay, these are the reasons that we're going to give now because we're faced with a lawsuit. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, what I believe was the reason was because of this relationship. Um, and for standing up for myself against a captain who um, told me that I was wrong. He gave me paperwork um, saying that uh, my relationship with a male coworker wouldn't be tolerated. And I refused to sign that document because I didn't believe I violated any policies. So I think um, standing up to him was one thing that kind of led to them talking about terminating me and then ultimately that relationship I had was the reason. So, um, you know, I, I think sitting through everything and hearing what was said against, you know, and about me was very challenging. Um, generally speaking, I've been a person who doesn't really care what other people think about me. 
Um, they don't live my life and I'm very against judgment. I think people should be entitled to live their lives at the way that they want to. I wasn't doing anything in the workplace that would reflect negatively or was against any policies in my opinion. And so I just felt like it was, um, the whole thing was very unfair. I don't really know how else to, to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Do they ever give you a reason why the male, your male, the one that you were in the relationship with, why they were never terminated as you were? Um, the, the bottom line with that, with what they said was because he had been there for about five years and he was not probationary like I was. So did that same captain give him a, that sheet of paper to sign as well? He did. He did give him the same paper. And did he sign it? I don't believe he signed it either. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what kind of advice can you give to women who are facing this kind of discrimination in the workplace? You know, it's so hard. It's I like totally understand because I experienced it firsthand. So um, I would say if you have someone close to you that you can talk to, I would do that first. Um, a family member, a friend, I, I'm definitely someone that they can reach out to as well. I've been through it. I've lived it. I've experienced it. Sometimes you just need someone to listen to you and to believe you. And I really um, felt like for me, I had my dad, he was there for me and I told him everything that was going on. And I was glad I had somebody, a support system. Um, so I would say finding somebody initially to speak with would be good. And then it is hard to stand up for yourself because when you do, you, you could potentially face a backlash like I did. I lost my job, which is like the ultimate thing. So um, which ended up ending my career because I never went back into law enforcement. So it, it's, you know, it's obviously when you stand up for yourself, it's a challenge because you don't know what's coming on the other side. But I really think that in order for changes to occur, you have to take a stand, you have to stand up for yourself and you can't tolerate the discrimination. So it is much easier said than done, but however you need to initially take that first step in talking with someone, reporting the behavior, documenting it, writing it down, um, all of those are important, but it really comes down to having that courage. So when when you went forward with this, um, the suit against discrimination, what was the first step that you did? Obviously, you had to find a lawyer. Did you have a hard time finding a lawyer to take the actual case or no? I actually had a recommendation from another officer who um, knew that the city had actually been sued previously. Um, it was a like anti-gay discrimination lawsuit, I believe. And so he recommended to me to reach out to that lawyer and contact him because he was from familiar with the city. So um, that's what I did initially. And like I said, initially, like, I just wanted my job back. I didn't want to do litigation. I just wanted to get my job back and go back to work. And because I felt like it was not a valid reason for you to terminate me based on what I'm doing in my private life. So that was the first step. And then once the city wouldn't entertain that, I decided to move forward. So what has been some of the, um, obviously you've gotten pushback from when you wrote the book because you go into detail about what happened, but what, what's, what is some of the pushback that you've gotten from it? Has anybody in the 
that department reached out to you at all or they said it was lies or they've come out against it? No, I haven't heard anything um, from the agency or anything like that. Most of the feedback I've received has been very supportive and encouraging and people believe me. Um, I'm obviously being truthful What happened with what happened. It's my story. Um, I don't see how you can really debate it because it's my story and it's my perspective. Um, but it's very, it's very raw and real. And I haven't had, um, at least that I've heard, I haven't heard anything really negative. Um, but it's not to say that people won't pass judgment. And it's one of the things that I thought about before I shared the story. I don't believe people have a right to pass judgment because people choose to live their lives in different ways. And I think that they should be entitled to do that. Um, but you know, it was one of those things that if it comes, it comes. I can't, I can't let what other people think, you know, make a decision if I'm going to do this or not. I love that. The fact that you, you obviously have to be very strong anyways to be a police officer because you deal with things in day-to-day -day life that normal people, you know, getting called all different names, you have to have a thick skin. So I think that kind of played into knowing how to stand up for yourself. Am I correct? Yeah, I would say so. I would say I kind of learned that from a young age being a fighter. And so I would say that, you know, it still doesn't make it any less scary, but definitely, um, you know, in order to have that toughness, it's, it takes a lot. It takes There's mental toughness that it takes, courage. So yeah, I would say so. So what are you doing now that you're not being a police officer? Because you said it ended your career. Yes, it did. So 2012, I was done. And I was, um, I literally hit like rock bottom where I just was totally lost and depressed. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was too afraid to like apply for another job and face like a, a panel interview in California where I live. It's usually a three panel interview um, of officers or supervisors from different agencies and everybody knows each other. And, you know, when, they, when it comes down to like, why did you leave your last agency? You know, initially it was like, I was released on probation. I was terminated, but they didn't give me a reason. And I was really embarrassed for having to sh like share that story because it felt very one-sided at the time initially. And so I was just, yeah, I think that was really my, my lowest point in my life because I've never been the type of person to like not fight for something that I want, but I was just really defeated. So I stayed out of it and um, I honestly focused on being a better mom. So that was, that's really been my focus is my children. And I work part-time for an au pair agency. So I do have something for myself outside of, um, you know, just my kids, but honestly, my kids are my main priority. And then, you know, writing this book has taken the last couple of years of my life, getting that story out there. So it's kept me busy. So let's talk about why you wanted to be a police officer, because there's not a lot of women police officers out there. A full disclosure, my dad was a police officer. He has since oh, wow. passed, but he was a chief of police and he was a deputy sheriff and he was a Marine. So all that full disclosure. Wow. So I applaud you for being a police officer because I've seen what they've gone through, even though we lived in a very small town that there wasn't a huge department. But oh, wow. what made you decide to be a police officer? 
Yeah. Well, when I was in college, I had no idea what I wanted to study. And my uh, counselor said, find something that interests you, like take classes that really interest you. And so I was really interested in criminal justice, um, just kind of growing up, seeing family members on the wrong side of the law. I really just wanted to study that. So I focused on that in sociology and um, after college, I was like, what do I do with my life? You know, one of those, like, I have no idea. I'm 21 years old. I don't know what to do for the rest of my life. So I decided it would just be a good starting point. I really used law enforcement, um, being a police officer as like a starting point. I did want to consider something in the future moving up, but I thought maybe being a police officer to start would be good experience. And so no wonderful backstory there, but, um, you know, just, I just wanted to help people and I wanted to, you know, learn. So did you get initial pushback when trying to get hired for departments since you already talked about gender discrimination, you know, like a, a male would get hired before a female? Yeah. You know, my first agency that I went to, um, where I got hired on, they, Obviously, there were a lot more men than women there as well, but their numbers were a lot better than my last agency. So I think my last agency out of 126 or 27 sworn, only like six of us were women at the time, mm. something like that. But my first agency, there were more women at my first agency and it was smaller overall than my second agency. So um, I don't think in my first agency I really did, but I knew... Um, in my second agency, the one where I lost my job, when I went to the um, the physical agility test, I saw a good number of women. And I knew that they were going to be hiring, um, I think, five officers, something like that. So in my head, which I shouldn't even be thinking like this, I was like, okay, one of those spots is for a woman because mm -hmm. they have to give it to a woman. Um, and the rest are going to be for men. So now it's me and all these other females that I see who's going to get that one slot. It happened to be me. I was right. I was the only woman that was selected. But I feel like I sh my brain shouldn't even go there. I feel yeah. like it should be whoever is the most qualified should get the job. So if the if five women were the most qualified and had the most experience, then that's who should have gotten the job. It shouldn't have been me thinking, okay, one slot. I had a great resume and I had a lot going for me. So I was confident that I would get a spot. But just the fact that I thought that is there's something wrong with that thought process. There is something wrong. And I'm wondering what, what we as women can do to stop that thought process, because that's something society has just kind of nailed into us. Yeah, I think for me, like I need to see more equity in the process. And I feel like they're, they're, women are so underrepresented in, you know, like being a firefighter, being a police officer, things like that. I don't know what these agencies need to do with recruiting, um, but something needs to improve to get those numbers up. Because when you're a minority, you don't feel like you hold any power. You don't have a voice. And if you do have a voice, then you're all these negative names that they correspond with you because you're speaking up. And so, um, yeah, I don't know what we need to do to change that thought process, but I think it would help to have more females represented. And going back to your um, court case, it's a, it happened, went on for seven years as well? Seven years. 
it was so long. It was, yeah, at times I was like, I just want to end this and throw the towel in. I just was done. I was like, I can't. Cause every time I had to relive what happened, it's very emotional. It's very trying to go through that. Um, so at many points I just really wanted it to be over. So, but honestly, I also wanted to stand up for myself and say, you know, what happened isn't right and I'm not going to give up. And so when I got that validation, when I won my right to privacy claim in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, I was so glad that I never gave up. Um, but the fact that it can drag on for that long is totally unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. I mean, it almost was like they drag it on. Um, you know, I don't know if you read the end of my book, but where that one judge died, the judge that advocated for me, or I felt like he understood the case, like he actually read everything. He understood the case. And, and when he passed away, all of a sudden they selected a new judge, but there was no reason to do that because my decision was already written and published. And so it just, the whole process um, of that did not seem fair either. It just felt like they were making up their own rules as they went along. Wow. And how did, how did you sustain yourself from seven years? You obviously must've been a hit financially as well as, you know, emotionally, like you said, and you, as your children as well, because you're raising children at the time. Yeah. I mean, there would be a lag. So it's like, we wouldn't hear anything for a year and then we'd have to do something and then we wouldn't hear anything again for a year. But yeah, it was a very long process and um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm not glad with the end result, but I'm glad that it's over. Because I mean, honestly, I cannot even imagine most that I think most women would give up after the first year, yeah. let alone seven, because the financial toll and the emotional toll. And then you've got to figure out your the toll on your family as well, because how old were your children at the time? Um, they were young. Yeah. Seven years ago, they were pretty young. So they didn't, uh, you know, obviously they didn't know what was going on or anything like that. And luckily, um, you know, it was like downtime a lot of the time. So, you know, I was busy when I attended depositions and that sort of thing, but there was a lot of um, downtime just waiting for a decision or waiting to hear when it was going to be heard, that sort of thing. So yeah, it'd be nice if they could speed up that process. For sure. Yeah, that would that would be so nice, obviously, because it, honestly, I can't see anybody sitting around for seven years. Maybe they think that you you were just going to give up. And just yeah, I think so. And I honestly think that if that one judge hadn't passed away, we'd be talking about a totally different outcome right now. I mean, when I won my right to privacy claim in the Ninth Circuit, it was a three zero decision. And so my case should have gone back to district court and I would have had a jury trial. And I was confident if I got amongst reasonable people, jury of my peers, I would be able to win the case. I don't think that the city would have let it get to that. They probably would have tried to settle it, but I really feel like if that judge had not passed away, it would be definitely a different thing we were talking about right now. Wow. Just sad. I just, I just can't even, I just can't even imagine going through this. I mean, how did you compartmentalize and not let it affect your family life? Because there's a lot of things like women with the emotions and everything. It's yeah. they run high. 
Yeah, I, you know, I went to a lot of therapy in the beginning when this all happened and I needed it because I needed a place to just be able to let, let it all out. Um, you know, I was going through so much when I hit rock bottom and I think that therapy really helped me in the beginning. And I just found ways to do things for myself, writing in a journal, running, having time to myself, um, you know, I didn't confide in too many people because I, I have trust issues. So, you know, there were a, a select few people that knew the whole story, but those people that did know, you know, I would share with them and that, you know, having one or two people that, that are there for you unconditionally, that's a hard one to find. Um, that was critical for me. So was, did the case get a lot of media attention or no? In the beginning, when I was terminated before it went to, um, before I ended up actually suing the city, um, I heard there was media attention and it, like I was embarrassed by the way that the media portrayed what happened because they only knew one side, you know, their one version. And of course the media like, like to, to twist it a little bit. So, um, so yeah, there was in the beginning a little bit of media coverage on it, but then, um, like I said, after a seven year process, things died down. Well, at least that, that was a good thing. Then things kind of died down that it didn't stay with you. Cause I can imagine that would have taken a toll on you as well. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, it was really, I mean, in the beginning it was like, I just got hit by a truck. It was just every, I felt like everything was coming at me. You know, I lost my career. I was separated. I mean, it was just, the whole thing was, you know, a disaster in the beginning, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'm trying to take that, you know, where I'm just, I've learned a lot from the experience and I'm stronger because of it. So. Do you think that that strength is the reason why you wrote the book to help other women as well to, to navigate through discrimination lawsuits? Yeah, it was, it was an outlet for me to share my story when I felt shut down, even in the court system. And I also really wanted to share it with other women to let them know, like, you're not alone and you can share your story because we need to do that in order for change to happen. It was really important for me to share that, share my story, even though during the process of writing, like I almost quit several times. I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is too much for me. And I just remember like the tears coming down and lots of crying. It was, it was therapeutic in a way. Um, and I really needed to write this book, you know, for closure for myself too, for this whole process. So when you originally started writing the book, was it something more for like a journal and then you decided to publish it or were you already thinking about publishing it? I was already thinking about publishing it when I started writing the book. Um, but when, when you're really in the thick of it, it's like, do I really want to go this deep and share this much? You know, so I definitely questioned myself several times, but it was necessary. I really feel like it was necessary. And what came of it was people sharing with me that a lot of people didn't know my story from me because I was very private and I kept things to myself. But when I started writing and I started telling people that about the book and that I'm writing a book, they started sharing stories with me that I never knew before. And, you know, they're like, this happened to me at work and I never said anything. I was too afraid. And that was like one of my goals in writing was to have people share and share their stories. And, you know, because I feel like 
even if they didn't speak up at the time, you know, maybe their son or daughter comes to them in the future and says, you know, this happened to me, what should I do? And now they have advice, like you have to, you have to stand up for yourself, you have to report it. So. So what is up next for you now that you've written the book? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm excited for all things to come. You know, right now I'm really advocating and I'm sharing my story right now. So I'm happy to continue to do so if, you know, people are willing to listen and if anybody can get anything from my book, I'm, I'm definitely satisfied with that. And I'm here for other people, you know, if they want to talk, if they they're going through something, you know, they can always reach out to me and I'm here to listen. So, yeah. And you don't see yourself maybe once the country opens up, because I know California is kind of on a lockdown too, because <laughs> I have a daughter that lives out there. No. But, you know, once it opens up, you don't see yourself doing maybe speaking tours or anything like that or... Yeah, I definitely am like very open. So I take any, you know, not any opportunity, but I take opportunities as they come. And so if something presents itself and I can be a benefit, I definitely will. So I, everything is really on the table right now. Do you have plans for any more books maybe? You know, I, I don't have anything in the works, but I have thought about writing another book. So I just have to see well, we'll just see. <laughs> so let's talk about the book process. I mean, did you get a publisher? Did you write it and then already didn't find a publisher or did you self publish? How did you do? How did you work? Yeah, no, I did work with um, a publisher. So I did this whole process. I was, you know, wasn't totally alone in it, which was nice since I was new to it. Um, you know, if I write another book, I'm not sure which direction I'll go, how I'll do it, but it was nice to have someone, um, helping me to answer questions along the way and, you know, make sure everything went smoothly. So how did you find your publisher? Did you already have the idea for the book and then go to them and say, Hey, just shopped around for publishers or what? Um, yeah, I already had my idea for the book. I just did a lot of research. I'm very yeah, research based. So I did a lot of research and um, called around different places, even people that I knew who um, knew people who have written books. I really reached out and, and just tried to gather information before I made a decision. Wow, that's because most first time authors normally do self publishing because they they can't find a publisher. So your story yeah. is very impactful that somebody wanted to publish it. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, my story was important. It was it's just it's all too common what's happening. And I feel like, you know, we're in 2021 and things should be different. So yeah. So is there any last nugget before we hop off of something you want to share? Um, I think I've hit on it, but you know, if you have a story to share, if you're, you know, feel like you've been discriminated against, stand up for yourself, you know, easier said than done. I understand, but somehow, some way find that courage to share your story. And you also hit on find your support system as well, because you obviously could not have done this alone, right? Yes. No, it's definitely important. Even if it's just one person to have somebody in your corner. And tell us the name of your book again. Uh, my book is The Moral Police. You can find it on Amazon. Yeah. And where can they find you? So if they want to reach out to you. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and then also on Instagram at Janelle Perez official. 
All right. So, yeah. Janelle, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And, guys, if you are faced with discrimination, this will be a really great guidebook somewhat, right? I think so. I think it would be good for them to understand and then hopefully give them some courage to, to find that strength within. All right. Janelle, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing about your book. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Wow, that interview was so impactful. Can you imagine knowing you won a court case, your right to privacy court case, that what happens outside of your workplace should not affect things that are happening in the workplace? Um, but I can't even imagine having the the judge die. I mean, that just, and then everything's overturned. Wow, it's just a big wow. That just shows you how screwed up the court system really is. I encourage you, please, if you are discriminated in any way, stand up for yourself. You have rights, even though it's hard sometimes. And sometimes you don't feel like you can be strong enough. But like Janelle says, find someone who can be your support system and they can be your support system. As always, thank you for being part of the podcast family. Please like, leave a rating or review wherever you listen to. Um, if you go to YouTube, you can go ahead and subscribe. And I hope you have a blessed day. And remember, keep chatting. Thank you.